Welcome to Building LA, a podcast about the buildings and projects shaping the future of Los Angeles, hosted by me, Sam Pepper. I'm a licensed architect, developer, and project manager specializing in large, complex projects. And as you can probably tell, I'm not a lifelong Angelino. I moved here in 2019, and I'm just fascinated about the projects shaping this city, and I'd like to learn more. Each episode of Building LA features conversations with the industry leaders driving those projects forward. We talk about what inspires them, the stories behind these impactful projects, and discuss what continues to excite us all about working in design, architecture, and real estate in Los Angeles. Please subscribe to Building LA on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcast platform. And if you have a minute, please write us a review. We really appreciate it, and we'd like to hear from you. Now, on to the episode. If you're driving down the PCH through Huntington Beach, taking off from John Wayne Airport, or really doing anything in and around the Huntington Beach area, you'll be familiar with the enormous industrial power station that is located right next to the Pacific Ocean. It's been an unmissable fixture in the community since the 1950s, when it was built to respond to California's rapidly expanding population, which grew by 52% between 1940 and 1950. Much of that growth happened in Southern California due to employment opportunities in shipbuilding, aircraft manufacturing, and other industries that grew as a direct result of World War II. Plus, of course, there was the enduring appeal of the weather, that's not so bad, and the magic of Hollywood. The power station, named the Huntington Beach Energy Project, aimed to generate electricity efficiently, using cutting-edge technology. Over the years, the project has evolved, most notably starting in 2017, when AES led a complete redesign, substantially increasing the power plant's efficiency and changing it from being a water-cooled plant to an air-cooled one. While it is still a natural gas-fired power station, it is significantly more environmentally friendly now than it was before the renovation, and provides up to 844 megawatts of energy, To visualize how much that is, it's enough to power about 800,000 homes at a time, which is double its previous capacity. At this point, you might be wondering why I'm talking about a power station. Well, my guest today is Sean Madden, founder and CEO of SPMD, a multifaceted creative agency that brings client stories to life through art curation, fabrication, installation, branding, environmental design, interior design, and project management. And in this episode, we're talking about the development of the largest mural in California, which is, you guessed it, located on the Huntington Beach power station. I've known Sean for about four years. His team has grown over that period and is based locally in Southern California, as well as in New York City and the UK. In this episode, we talk about how Sean came to found SPMD, how he has carefully grown the team over the years, and how his firm's capabilities are now at an all-time high with the ability to produce soup-to-nuts design solutions for a multitude of tech companies such as Google, along with other household name brands such as New Balance, Reddit, Warner Music Group, Tinder, Coca-Cola, the list goes on and on. SPMD has also fostered long-term partnerships with major architecture firms like Gensler, Methood, and ZGF, to name a few. We also discuss the reasons for his success, and how the company is founded upon a genuine care for his SPMD team and the deep relationships he has built with his clients. 
As I'm sure someone will point out, the project we are discussing is technically in Huntington Beach, not Los Angeles. Sean has completed hundreds of projects in the city of LA, but the scale and complexity of the Kaleidoscope mural is worth talking about. So we are on this episode. Enjoy the conversation and please don't forget to subscribe to Building LA. And if you have 10 seconds, please rate the podcast wherever you are listening. We really appreciate it. Now, onto the episode. Hi, Sean. Welcome to Building LA. Hi, Sam. Thanks for having me. So before we dive into the project, the process, and of course the art, I'd like you to set the scene for a little bit for our listeners. Tell us about this power station project site and the setting for the mural. I want you to give a sense of what you experience as you're driving past it or if you're walking in the neighborhood. What does this place look like? Well, it's in the city of Huntington Beach, you know, this iconic beach town in Orange County, California. It has the iconic roadway of Pacific Coast Highway, literally embracing it between the power plant and the coast. So it quite literally is a gateway into the city of Huntington Beach as this monolithic structure of your typical power plant of of yesteryear that has been evolved to be much more environmentally conscious. And so it is this grand, absolutely unavoidable, unapologetic structure by which we uh, were able to, to create a beautification through art and celebrate art in the local community, but also on a state and national level. You can also enjoy it as you take off from John Wayne Airport. It Mm -hmm. absolutely is visible Mm -hmm. off the right wing of every plane departing John Wayne Airport. And it is really one of the largest landmarks that you can see Mm. um, from the air in in the county of of Orange. So it's uh, it's quite substantial. You can't can't miss it. No, you cannot. (laughs) So in doing a little bit of research, this site has been a power station really since kind of end of World War II when there was a lot of migration into Southern California and quite frankly, the state just needed to produce more power for the new residents who were moving there. So going back to, I believe, the kind of 50s or 60s, there was a power station there. And then come sort of uh, 2012, I believe, there was an effort to modernize the plant, redevelop it, make it more efficient. I'm not going to go into the details on exactly how all that works because I'm not an electrical engineer. But I'm curious how you think the power station is perceived in the area as it's been such a fixture in the Huntington Beach for such a long time. Well, it's an interesting question and paradigm that there's a proud local community and there's a lot of folks that have been there since the 60s, especially in the neighborhoods that surround the power plant Mm -hmm. that we're discussing. And some cherish the old power plant as this legacy, this historical power generation station. But the vast overwhelming majority, because they care about the beach, they care about the environment, there are wetlands that surround the power plant, are really excited and proud that the the efforts to create not only, you know, purely efficiency, but efficiency equating to, to better environmental stewardship and power production, which is definitely at the forefront of AES's initiatives globally mm-hmm. um, as a, a global power provider. And of course, the state of California's efforts to be more environmentally conscious, everyone has rallied behind that. 
And in that effort, there was a criteria in building this new, more efficient power plant to beautify it as well. So the active voice of the community was quite an empowering and, and exciting element to really hear them, hear mm-hmm. their experience of, of being neighbors and participants in the, the local fabric of Huntington Beach and, and how much they cherish the natural environment around them. Mm-hmm. The wetlands are gorgeous. And, mm-hmm. and in those wetlands, and the, know, wetland, the wetlands go out to the beach, I would imagine, right? Yes. And, and between the beach and the wetlands, there is, of course, the Pacific Coast Highway, the PCH. Yes, exactly. And that's this this delicate dance. Mm-hmm. And and so the vistas of the ocean, you know, you see the iconic Huntington Beach Pier mm. from the site. Oh, wow. To have the Pacific Coast Highway and, you know, on the weekends, the buzz of all the, the cars and cool motorcycles and cyclists and people enjoying the beach. But then literally right on the other side of Pacific Coast Highway are, you know, endangered species of birds that are nesting and migratory birds that are coming into the community and really unique flora and fauna that are indigenous to marshes and wetlands in Southern California. So this ecosystem and this 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 balance between urbanization and power production and the power, you know, the, the taxation of the grid as communities have gotten larger while honoring the natural environment Mm -hmm. that we all embrace and enjoy is and how art can be that equalizer that brings people together was such an exciting opportunity for us that that we got to be a participant Mm -hmm. in something that really unified all of those things that we were just mentioning so we're going to talk about this project in detail i'm curious and I'm imagining it's not a simple process. How did SPMD get involved in the project in the first place? <laughs> not a simple process, but over the years, we've, we've been so fortunate to meet a lot of incredible partners on projects. And one of those partners, we've worked closely with a firm, um, an architecture firm called ZGF. And working with their local LA office, we've delivered some amazing work together. And uh, I got a call one day where we were being recommended to help support this power plant project. They had a role in support of the client AES and they brought us in as a potential solution for the beautification effort, the art artistic component to deliver this beautification effort at the power plant. And so that was really the origin and uh, is relationship where we were recommended. And then there were some other firms that were looked at by the client by AES and we won uh, with our proposal for the project. And then we were off to the races, working with the California Energy Commission, working with the state of California, Gavin Newsom's office, working with uh, the municipality of Huntington Beach. And to me, most importantly, the community. Mm-hmm. This is this is their, like, they live there. Mm-hmm. They look at this. They engage it as pedestrians, as cyclists, as neighbors. And, and so, you know, really all of those stakeholders, all of those people is uh, what really helped like mm-hmm. start the ambition of, of the project. And there was a lot of listening, a lot of learning. And, you know, definitely we have never done anything exactly like this before. Mm-hmm. So, you know, strategy was was such a key piece to uh, to take step by step in kind of kicking this off and, and getting it going. When you when you won the project, what do you think it was that was part of that in your proposal that set you apart from the others competing? I'm glad you asked that. We often say we engineer the ambition of art. Hmm. We're not just artists. We're not just fabricators. We're not just designers. We really look at, at that heartfelt ambition, that, that human aspect of the ambition of art and the expression of art. But how that goes from an idea to reality 
you know, it, depending upon what the, 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 the outcome is that's, that's wanting to be expressed, it's in the detail. So not only do we have expertise as, as art curators and artists and, and the ability to execute, we have a large team of muralists on staff, but the ability to competently look at risk, to look at timeline, to look at budget, to look at all the engineering requirements, to I often say break it down to build it up, that I think we bring a unique value system as an mm -hmm. organization that we don't have a lot of competitors in. There's there's amazing mural production companies, but we bring a lot more. There's a lot of amazing talent to approach this project in 360 degrees and, and really empower the ambition um, in its execution. Yeah, that makes sense. So you go through this process, you are awarded the project. Did you feel at that point, obviously happy to be to win and to have that opportunity? Was there any moment where you felt a little overwhelmed by the scale of this project? I mean, I don't believe SPMD is an expert in power station murals, right? Not at this point, at least. I'm laughing because there was an exact moment. Of course, I mean, doing backflips of joy when we won the project. Yeah. And that moment that you ask about wasn't right at the beginning. We were so excited, you know, the teams were all assembling. We were, we had, you know, lots of interviews with the client and, and the different stakeholder groups. And it was a little bit further down the path when we were actually getting ready to execute. And we had assembled the teams on site. I had our kind of command center dropped on the site. And I was standing by myself one morning at this massive industrial feat of engineering. I mean, this is innovative new technology and power generation and it's massive scale of course and i just had this surreal moment where i'm like oh boy did i bite off more than i can chew mm -hmm. this is so massive it's intimidating you're hearing the sounds it's of the machines the the steam coming off oh, of it exactly <laughs> yeah you were, you were there with me that's exactly right and i'm not one that uh backs down easily i'm and and a lot of the, the wind in my sails is the amazing team i have around me that i know we have the competency i know we have the process and the, the ethics to deliver of uh, something at this scale so i leaned into it and i leaned into our team but yeah there was a moment where uh i was a little on my heels and i was thinking about the scale and i was thinking about the safety of my team and i was thinking about our responsibility to right. not only our client but to the community to deliver but like i always do i double down you know you just you lean into it and you believe in what you're capable of and you know we're active learners we continue to bring it and and we delivered with a lot of pride yeah so you partnered with kim west to design the mural Tell us a little bit about how she was selected as the artist. Yeah. So, you know, Kim West we, is a local LA based artist, an amazing artist. And, you know, we've worked with her on previous projects. And so it wasn't simply recommending a artist. We started with, you know, really listening to the community, their input. And so the process was really about thermometer checks, stylistic approaches. What does the city really desire? The attitude of Huntington Beach is in that connection to nature and all of what is symbolized in the project is different than maybe what would be in downtown LA in mm -hmm. the arts district mm -hmm. or in Paris or in another major metropolitan area, very different perspective. So we started with our community outreach and looking at stylistic approaches before ever recommending 
any specific artist, which then distilled down to a group of about 50 artists, which is where we started um, narrowing down the process by which ultimately Kim West was chosen with a lot of excitement by all the, the stakeholder groups. And we moved forward from there. And the last piece to that puzzle is that Kim West is a studio artist. She is a muralist, but nothing anywhere near the scale of something like this. But it's translating the work from canvas to the largest scale mural in the state of California. That process was also a major component in, in the, the actual engineering of the art, mm -hmm. working with consulting Kim in the ability to create exact aspect ratio original canvases mm -hmm. that would then translate at scale and then we could do our work to execute it. You said that you brought in 50 artists, I believe, at the beginning. Yes. How does SPMD go about selecting those 50 artists, which is a large number, to try out for a mural of this scale? Another wonderful question. You know, it's very much at the heartbeat of our organization as, a, as art curators and art consultants that, you know, we really look to what are the metrics, what are those key drivers that, that the project is really looking for? And at once we wanted to be local. Mm -hmm. We looked at diverse perspectives, equitable, you know, across many different backgrounds and cultures of artists. So we really brought a real wide range of artists to the project that aligned with the stylistic approaches that mm -hmm. the community was really expressing Desireful. aligned with their desire mm -hmm. and really honored nature. That heartbeat of nature just was like loud and proud. And at the same time, the culture of Huntington Beach and the surf culture and action sports is, is centered around their color and mm -hmm. embracing such a large perspective of art expression in, in the community. So, you know, we look at all these different key drivers and then really hone in on a broad perspective within those key drivers to then allow the community to be a part of it. In something that's a public art piece, it's for the public. And so to have the ability to actually collaborate with the public mm -hmm. and, and really align mm -hmm. their thoughts um, and have them be bought into the solution um, creates really successful results. So I'm smiling because I've worked with you for about four years now, and I know that your team would be fantastic at running that kind of process and no surprise that you won the project. For those who aren't familiar with SPMD, how would you describe your company? <laughs> A passionate, dedicated group of incredible talent coming from diverse backgrounds. We have architects that work for, for us, technical engineers with backgrounds in industrial design and electrical engineering and mechanical engineering, interior designers, true uh, studio artists, and then rich, deep fabrication know-how. So when you, when you bring that rich melting pot together and affirm that I aspire to be this collective of end-to-end -end solution in creating art and experience in built environments, mm -hmm. uh, visual storytelling, if you will, mm -hmm. anything is possible. And that the team that I'm blessed to have around me, whatever mountain we choose to climb, mm -hmm. we climb it till we get to the peak. And that's what it's always about. It's, it's, we're very ambitious and we're passionate about um, bringing joy to the world, connecting people with place in authentic ways. And so that scale can be 
a multitude of scales, single deliverables, hundreds of deliverables. You know, we've been blessed to work on amazing large scale campuses for global tech firms. Mm -hmm. uh, we've done public art in various municipalities. We're working in all kinds of different forums. You mm -hmm. know, the company um, has done a lot of things in its 13 years, sort of close to 13 years. So, uh, so you talk about the global tech companies and that's obviously the, the world that we, we met in. That has its own challenges and there's certainly approvals that you need to get from corporations when you're designing art for them, you're doing interior design, you're doing branding for them. And I think your company is very good at telling a story about the art and about the idea that can be translated across multiple stakeholders from different disciplines and you're able to draw that line through and, and connect with people. Do you think that in the, and I'd like you to talk about a little bit about the approvals that you had to get for this project in Huntington Beach. Is it the same set of skills that you've used for other clients that you use to apply to going through the state, going through the city, going through and imagine countless community meetings as well? Absolutely, yes. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it really is being humble, being a humble servant to the project, you know, checking the ego at the door. It really is being an active listener and being a participant in, in such ambitious outcomes. We take that seriously as an organization. And, and I think that's been a big piece of our recipe for success is our ability to be agile and be active listeners and go where the project desires to go mm -hmm. and be unwavering in that pursuit and being gracious partners um, and not rigid. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what the world is today. It needs that ability to respond to change and to push boundaries when you're exhausted mm -hmm. because of the, the rigor of process and these ambitious projects can take a lot out of you. But it's that pursuit of these ambitions that, you know, you just you just keep putting wind in your sails and you get there. But you do it with grace. You do it mm -hmm. with kindness and with rigidity doesn't allow, you know, these amazing outcomes to be mm -hmm. realized. You have to be flexible and adapt to get there. And this was no different, you know. Well, you say adapt. I know that the approvals for this came during COVID. So did you have any moments where you were on a Zoom call with people and you're trying to convince them of an artwork? And I mean, I've been on Zoom calls. There's people looking at the stuff on their phone. Was that a challenge to kind of create that story and convince um, people? A and, major challenge. Yeah. And, and I think more than talking and presenting, it was listening. Right. It was really about, about hearing people and, and then collecting data based on those, those forums of conversation and honoring what we heard and giving, giving that back to them so that they felt empowered that we listened and we valued their input. The community was, was such a key piece of, of the puzzle, but yeah, I mean, the world of the pandemic, it was, was unsettling for us all. And this was really at the, the that early kind of fear factor of the pandemic mm -hmm. when we were all isolating and to do things of this stature and be isolated, not be able to like, read the room and feel the people and see it, it you had to heighten your senses and mm -hmm. and uh and create trust and and you know i i have to say that our client aes was such an amazing client to support us they really empowered us and and were cheerleaders for us mm -hmm. as were the city everyone we worked with it, mm -hmm. it really you know 
art is such a wonderful unifier. It, mm -hmm. it connects people together and it can affect people's moods. It can open dialogue of conversation. It, you know, so it's something that you have to be so sensitive to and make sure that, you know, and you're never going to win everybody. So I am certain that there are people that don't like the mural that was, was executed, but the vast overwhelming majority of the community is proud of it as a landmark in their city. And, and it's been affectionately called the gateway to Huntington Beach oh, well. by numerous people that I've talked to that are both local residents and part of the community leadership as well. That's a, it's a proud part. Even the Visitors Bureau uses it in their marketing nowadays. We've really affected positive change. And that's, that's one of my kind of key outcomes to bringing value to the world. If, if we can affect positive change in communities and in, in people's lives, then I feel that I'm doing, doing something good for the world. If the power station is in the visitors bureau, then I think that I think I think that's the success that you were looking for. Absolutely. Were there any moments during that approvals process where you thought, "Hmm, this might not happen"? Was it? Were there any scary moments, or did you? Was it fairly streamlined? Were you always, were you always confident that you'd get there? Well, I'm a pretty confident person. Yeah. I think early on in the community outreach, there was you know there were topics before I came that kind of boiled up that we had to navigate around when the old power plant was going to be decommissioned and taken down a lot of more of the political aspects around mm. the power plant kind of welled up in the in the beginning mm. and once again if you go back to letting people feel heard yeah. and value mm -hmm. what they have to say then it can diffuse some of mm -hmm. that and we can move on and my lens my involvement was really to to bring beauty to the community so you know i really avoided some of those landmines we listened mm -hmm. we learned and then we moved on and it quickly evolved to folks getting behind it and really believing in the fact that we were going to we were going to do something good for the community mm -hmm. and uh so there wasn't major resistance or challenges right. but it it's taking it slow it's honoring the process and uh and really listening to folks good you don't have to comment on this but i'm picturing in some parts of the country, you know, there would be the opportunity to say, well, why don't we just put a huge American flag with a bald eagle on it and, and you know, call it a day. And, you know, maybe you had those comments, maybe you didn't. Um, we did. We did. Yeah. And, you know, it wasn't exactly that, but it were, you know, yeah, variations lines. on the theme. Yeah. And that's part of our responsibility mm -hmm. is to be able to navigate those situations mm -hmm. and really help support the greater, more future forward yeah. um, aspirations of the community yeah. and give them something that honors them, yeah. but that that is a bigger vision. Yeah. And the timelessness of nature and embracing the natural mm -hmm. surroundings was something that everyone really resonated with as we as we narrowed down the the stylistic approach and the story of of what we wanted to bring to life. So great segues. Tell, tell us about, and it's called the Kaleidoscope Mural. Tell us a little bit about the story behind the artwork and the ideas behind it. Yeah. So once Kim was chosen as the artist, we, we brought her to site. Of course, she had some early artist brief uh, information that was given to her, much like it was given to the other artists that we were in conversations with. She immediately fell in love with, with the site conditions next to the wetlands and the birds that would come and go through the day, take flight the butterfly species, the, the various movement in the water and the reflections that happen in these wetlands right in front of the power plant and how you could actually see from various viewpoints, the reflection of the power plant in the water. And that's part of 
Kim's magic is her ability to see the scene and then embrace where she wants to be a storyteller in her work. So it's really about movement. It's about nature in motion. And it's very gestural. Her style is abstract and gestural and playful and animates through color as well. So it, it's, it's joyous. Mm-hmm. It's not literal. And it's very symbolic of what you witness in the comings and goings of all the species that, that live there and embrace that, that local area. They're, they're the original community. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and so it's this playful dance that embraces both those reflections and the vistas of the sky. So compositionally, it's speaking to all of that. It's like engaging its sight conditions and really celebrating all of, of what nature has to in store in that environment. It is a, such a beautiful mural and the fact that it's on a power plant is almost secondary to the fact that the setting of it against the wetlands and the beach and the colors, which to me as still I think an outsider of California a little bit, feel very Californian. They feel very Southern California. Yes. We'll put a link on the website and, and the podcast. People can see it if they're not familiar with it. I would like you to describe SBMD's role and Kim's role on this project, because it is really a partnership between SBMD and, and the artist in, in everything that you pursue. And maybe just describe that a little bit. Absolutely. And, and I would add one, one, I couldn't have done it with, without the client as well. Mm. You know, when you have, when you have any client, I, and I would, I would say all of my clients qualify as this. They are the activator. They are what empowers us and believes in us to do these amazing things. And so between the client, between Kim and between us realizing that ambition, it took a village, right? So Kim's process is, is obviously field studies, research, interviews, talking to city people, you know, taking notes from the community outreaches, really being at the site, walking the wetlands. There's a conservancy and a, a wildlife rehabilitation center that's adjacent, meeting the people there and really collecting her data that will inform her composition. You know, working with us, we really engineer the art from, from start to finish. So helping support Kim was developing the aspect ratios of the canvases, how compositionally we want to rationalize the different surfaces because it isn't a flat plane of canvas, if you will. Mm-hmm. It's multi-planar and, and how we would approach that from a from a executional perspective and then and then going backwards from that so that it would inform composition in her originals which then creates our directive for execution she came to site a couple of times through the process of us painting the mural but but quite frankly the team each and every one of my team that painted that mural are all incredible artists themselves and their honoring of Kim's work was at the center of their personal ambition. I often relate to things in analogies and, you know, murals, I never want to discredit even a simple mural, but like, you know, we do some murals where it's like putting on your running shoes and going for a jog in your neighborhood. Right. 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 And it's fairly safe. You got to check at crosswalks and whatever, and not get hit by cars, but you're, you're, you're jogging. Right. Yeah, it's no big deal. And then, and then there's ones where, you know, it's a marathon and then there's ones where, you know, it's like climbing Mount Cap and you need a team and you're climbing a something very technical. This was Mount Everest and this needed the planning, the strategy, the risk management was immense. So 
toggling between Kim's needs to realize her vision and then all of the things that are necessary to actually execute, that's that, that partnership. And then the client giving us the forum, allowing us the space, being there with us daily mm -hmm. through morning kickoff meetings. I mean, let me say this loud and clear. It's an active power plant. It was operating through the entire process of us delivering this with life-threatening electricity adjacent 20 feet away from us at any point in time. So the, the, the seriousness of this from an executional perspective was very, very, very heavy-handed. Serious. Very serious. And so with that, we broke it down and we, we really created a strategy and, and a, that was both, you know, orchestrated through the whole process of delivering this mural, but it came down to every minute we had to respond to change, whether it was weather changes, yeah. whether it was the needs that the power plant had to do something different that day and we needed to adjust and evolve our strategy, all kinds of learnings, active learnings through the process. It was a constant everyday engagement and refinement and evolution in order for us to get to the peak of Mount Everest and achieve, you know, such huge results. Incredible. I love that analogy. So give us some sort of fun facts about, about the project. I mean, the scale of it, I, I don't know if you mentioned over, it, but it's, it's, it, it's huge. It's, it's quite large. It's uh, a little over 121,000 square feet of surface area. It's on eight structures in total and uh, about 1600 gallons of paint it took to apply to the structures. Uh, we worked with uh, Rust-Oleum as our coatings paint supplier in actually developing the paint system. So this isn't just buying something off the shelf. To honor an artist's work, it's honoring the fidelity of their pigments. And then do the application methods align, you know, from an approach perspective to the way you're executing it. So we needed to study what equipment were we going to spray? Were we going to roll on which surface at what scale? What was the dance? Mm -hmm. And so studying that and then thinking of paint performance in, you know, next to the beach right. on an active industrial power plant. And, it's and a then, hostile environment for it, paint. It is a very hostile <laughs> yeah. environment for paint. So we needed a, to be advocates for the paint yeah. to really, you know, allow them to respond to the site conditions and yeah. and and honor Kim's palette and and the fidelity of that work, so it can be enjoyed for years and years to come. So that was a key component. Some of the other metrics, and this is probably the most mind blowing. There were twenty one aerial lifts activated simultaneously. Wow. So at any given point. In a day, you could see uh, articulating boom lifts from 40 feet to 135 feet going. We'd have three of those going simultaneously. Just choreographed. Almost. Choreographed. Yeah. Scissor lifts from uh, 35 feet to 60 feet going and a multitude of those. And then one of the main surfaces is what's, what's known as the sound wall. And it's really the big billboard structure that's the first that you see in the composition. And it really is meant to attenuate sound from the power plant outward from to the community. Into the neighborhoods. Yeah. To the neighborhoods. And it's, but it's this amazing canvas. Well, in front of it is a water retention pond. So you can't put any lifts in front of it. The site conditions did not allow for any lifts. So we first thought, oh, well, we're just going to rig and repel mm -hmm. off the face of this thing. And we quickly learned there was a bunch of things that didn't make that as feasible as we'd like it to be. It didn't sound like the best path of travel. Some probably some safety issues there, yeah. I imagine. And, yeah, and could it have been achieved? Perhaps. Right. And we did use rigging, but but this is 
what we ended up proposing, the client got behind it. We devised a scaffolding system off the backside of that sound wall and rigged scaffolding and cantilevered it over and dropped swing stages down the front of it that also choreographed. There were three swing stages that ran across the 600 foot long surface. So we had three swing stages while we had all of these aerial lifts going, all choreographed and a dedicated, very, very knowledgeable safety team to really protect all of my artists Mm -hmm. throughout the day and the seriousness of that, the thoroughness and consistency that we delivered that is how we honored the client and their their safety protocols for an active power plant. And uh, it took that village to deliver. So it was, uh, the metrics of that are really profound. Um, I would imagine that because of all those logistics and the safety implication as well, <laughs> that by the time it was finished, there was probably a little bit of relief on your end to say, okay, thank God, we've done it. We're out of the woods. How long did it take? Obviously, there was the approval pro- approvals process. We won't get into that. But from the first setting up of the scaffolding or the first lift that went up there to completion, how, how long was that process roughly? Over a year. Oh, wow. There was a pause in the middle of COVID for, mm. for reasons that we had no control over. But, you know, entire in the entirety from start to finish on site was a little over a year. Active painting about six and a half, seven months. Okay. And as we all have experienced, part of the time frame was also if there was ever any positive case of COVID, it shut down the job site until we validated exposures. Everyone was masked. Everyone was getting tested daily. You know, we, we all can remember that snapshot in time and uh, on an active power plant with this many people, that was no joke. That was a serious piece of, of the business. So the project's completed. You don't live too far away from it. How does it feel? It's one of my proudest moments. It really is. And I think forever will be for my children to see what I've experienced in delivering this, for them to be proud of it to their schoolmates and to our neighbors that, you know, folks know that, you know, it was something that I, br- I helped bring to the community is a really special moment. Hmm. And uh, every time I fly for business and take off out of John Wayne very regularly and there's never a day that i don't look out the window and i always request a seat on the right side of the plane so i can to just experience it again from a different perspective and it's it's very deeply rewarding it absolutely is and i've even given talks at my daughter's school about it realizing the ambition of art and help Mm. hopefully igniting the passion in in artists of the future and helping people realize children realize that they can make a positive outcome on the communities that they live in, mm. in whatever means and methods. And uh, so, yeah, it's been profound, both mm. personally and professionally. Your company and you have done a tremendous amount of work, and a lot of it at a grand scale, although I believe this is the biggest that you've done. <laughs> Are you most proud about this piece or is it is it hard to compare against the other work you've done for other clients <sighs> and other other projects? The ambition of this piece is definitely at the top. There's a few, but it's a select small group of projects where, you know, to me, what defines success is, is not just my involvement, but, but the collective team and how many people put everything they had into realizing the ambition of, of work. And so those finest moments, those proudest moments really are about the collective entity that climb that Mount Everest that I, that I mentioned that that's where 
I get my source of pride from is, is that we all bought into a vision and we all worked so hard and were unwavering in our pursuit despite any challenges that came up. To see that in the human condition and in doing things as a collective is why I do what I do. Mm -hmm. So Sean, congratulations on an incredible project. It is really remarkable. We're going to switch gears now and talk about you and, and SPMD and, and, and how you've developed your career over time. So take us back to the start of your career. You're in your early 20s. What are you interested in? What, what, what was inspiring <laughs> you at that time? Well, you know, I grew up in California, both Northern and Southern California. Um, I'm in my early mid 50s. So I was, a, I was a product of the 80s and the 90s. I was a surf rat, skateboarder, snowboarder early on. I was just that, that atypical California kid. I grew up in an artistic home. My mom was an artist and a designer. She designed fashion. She did interior design as a hobbyist. So it was something from my earliest memories. I used to rip pages out of Architectural Digest and make paper airplanes and get my mom angry at me. <laughs> it's just what I, I grew up with culturally. I was always going to galleries and to museums and, and of the arts my entire childhood. So, you know, in, in college, I worked in art galleries in La Jolla. I went to San Diego State. I lived in La Jolla. And, and, and so it's always been just really natural. I'm an artist, not so much in practice anymore, but, you know, a dabbling artist and have been my whole career and a, cre and a creative. So, you know, when I got out of college, I was fortunate to get a job working for Warner Brothers Worldwide Retail in their consumer products division. But I had this really unique role and I was the liaison working between the animation studios and the animation properties and developing art assets that were brought to market, both in Warner Brothers stores and also galleries all over the world, cells, uh, limited edition prints, sculptures, what have you. So I was translating this beautiful legacy of animation art both historical art as well as current properties like Steven Spielberg presents Tiny Toons and Animaniacs and all these other different properties, but bringing them to life for people to enjoy found us, there was a spark mm. in me and being able to convey things through different mediums and methods. So I was fascinated and ridiculously curious, obsessively curious about the process that things were brought to life with. So I visited foundries, I was working with printers, I was working with all these different organizations that worked with artists. And I'm going to imagine that you're also getting to know really the ecosystem of art and art production in Southern California, maybe California as a whole, really well at those early stages. Yeah, absolutely. And even nationally and globally. I mean, I got to work with J.K. Rawlings when she first published her, her first Harry Potter book. We translated the cover art into a limited edition print and brought it to market. Wow. So, you know, in getting to know artists, so it wasn't only the treasure trove of assets that were in the archives of Warner Brothers, it was also working with contemporary artists that translated that intellectual property mm -hmm. in unique and inventive ways. So exactly to your point, working with all these different artists and having that ability to work with them to translate that work and bring it to a greater audience was really compelling to me. Mm. I really enjoyed that, thoroughly enjoyed it. And I guess I brought value to it because I continued in that, that lens. After working for, for Warner, I went on to work for uh, a few very prestigious art printing organizations that were production houses 
innovating uh, the way art was translated and uh, was fortunate enough to uh, help disrupt some of that print market through some inventions that I was um, one of the kind of founding instigators of combining offset lithography and serigraphy, you know, moving forward from Bordeaux into working uh, as one of the kind of the early group uh, that started Harvest Productions. We were founding fathers in digital fine art printmaking and taking a machine that was not of the fine art market. This is at the bleeding edge of digital print. It was a commercial printing application that we then retrofitted and, and rigged essentially to be a, a, the first digital printmaking technology worldwide. And then we had to set out, uh, set out on the permanency issues to make it archival, to make it worthy of fine art. So it's deep in my, my, the culture of my career to think about the authenticity not only of the work, but how it's created mm -hmm. and quality and innovation and disrupting what's available today to bring something new to the market of tomorrow has always been at like the core of what excites me. And I think you had said that your work at Harvest, the scale of that and the archival printing they were doing, they became, I think, the, big, the biggest fine art printer in the world. I yes. Yeah. So, you know, being this disruptor in a marketplace, allowing artists to test their work instead of having to commit to full editions yeah. to give this flexibility was really really innovative and and we really pounced on that to become the world leader in in that working with art publishing houses world famous artists all over the globe some of harvest early work actually lives in a permanent collection at the smithsonian hmm. um you know really that origin story and there and it was us at harvest as well as a, a number of other small studios that that we helped guide we helped participate with hmm. um to really bring this technology to the world that's now known as giglet all over the world and is and, still wow. you know you walk into any gallery and most likely there are giglets on the wall in the gallery so there was a there was a, a small community that brought it to life, but we were really the the incubator of technology as a technologist. So the founder of Harvest was the national sales director of the company that made the equipment, hmm. and so he saw this unique opportunity opportunity very smart and brought me in, and you know it, we 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 it was the spark that that started it all. That was really formative in my career and gave me momentum in thinking that at any scale in it, that anything is possible to translate the expression of art and bring it to new and maybe untold audiences uh, wherever that may be so what would you say you're kind of in your late 20s early 30s what was the expertise that you think that you as an individual were developing that has set you on a really good path going forwards it's a great question i think a few things um the environment that I was brought up in, I feel fortunate that my mom really taught me to have a keen aesthetic, to have an eye for, for not only trends, but the historical lens of, of aesthetic in interiors, color, you know, having a broad understanding of art and artists and it, it really all of that to collectively has always served me well as a creative and as an influencer in the outcome of projects. I'm also, my curiosity, like it gets the best of me. I'm, mm -hmm. I'm curious to almost a fault about how things are made and how I can make them different. And I don't. Do you go, do you, do you go down rabbit holes sometimes and you have to dig yourself back out? Abyss, uh, an abyss <laughs> of rabbit holes, deep, deep, yeah. dark yeah. rabbit holes. But in any creative outlet, whether it's music, whether it's film, 
you know, what's new is usually a juxtaposition of what once was and a thought and aspiration of disruption to evolve it and change it. And so, you know, some of our best music just keeps evolving because it's taking something that once was and giving it a twist and a turn and giving it a new spin to, mm -hmm. to what it now is, has become, you know, visual arts is no different. And so thinking about how we can disrupt and think different and, you know, bringing it to today, when I get to work with a new artist, an outside artist, when we're working, um, you know, commissioning an artist, one of my first questions is, what haven't you done that you've always aspired to and you don't have the means to do it? And how can I help? Mm. Like, it's a good question, you know, and, and that collaborative spirit and what we get back when we ask that question of artists is so exciting because they and, have, they, they may have the idea, but you have the technical know-how and you can make it happen. Absolutely. And yeah. so, um, I'm very persistent. I'm very passionate. I think those are the qualities that have served me well and really listening and honoring and being gracious through the process. Those are things that I convey to my team and that, well, your trust builds with clients as well, right? Because of those qualities. So you're able to kind of build relationships for a long time. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you worked at Mobius, you worked at Image Options and then Precision Services Group for a while. I believe you were in a sort of a sales role within image options and precision services, kind of a hybrid role? All, all of those firms, you know, there was a, there was a piece to my career where I wanted to do, you know, what's next. And yeah. so going from fine art, but being that lifelong surfer, skater, action sports, yeah. you know, guy as well, you know, a lot of my friends saw what I was doing in art and go, well, Hey, if you can do that for art, can you do that for us? And this was in the burgeoning kind of early era of the action sports industry when companies like Quicksilver and Hurley and, you know, all the big guys were, were blowing up and, you know, Southern California is the epicenter of those industries, the, the shoe companies, the skate, skate scene, the surf scene, streetwear, what have you. And so taking my know-how and take, you know, was, was really kind of this, this tipping point where I, I embraced a different community mm -hmm. and leaned into that to bring value to experience design in retail environments, mm -hmm. events, and really the inception of what's now known as experiential marketing, mm. but really just doing cool things at events that made people feel that they were activated and exciting. And so it was, it was using the skills of, of my creative background, but also production background. Yep. And I, I'm like the anti-sales sales leader right. in the sense that who I want to be talking to are the creative directors, the marketing you know, leads and VPs about what are the initiatives and how do they want to authentically talk to their audiences? And then I was that partner, that expert that could connect those dots and give them something they had never seen before. Mm. And we changed the world. We did a lot of things in that. I, I did so much in that market with all the innovators in action sports. It was a really fun period of time. But then the flip side of that is, you know, it was all temporary and short lifespan. Right. And to me, it kind of pulled on my heartstrings a little. I wanted to, you know, things to be a little more permanent, things mm -hmm. to, to feel more, you know, kind of bringing me full circle. It's more archival and more sustainable, things that, that were more conscious. And, you know, the world of retail marketing is constantly evolving and changing um, events. And yeah, I, I, I didn't like things going into dumpsters. I didn't like things that we, right. you know, the fruit of our labor was very uh, seasonal and cyclical and short term. And so I yearned for more. And the origin to working in more permanent built environment, 
ironically started with action sports. Hmm. A couple of my largest clients were Quicksilver and GoPro, and they loved what I did. And I was such a deep partner to them that when they were designing their headquarters, they asked me to be the person and the organization oh, wow. delivering the expression of art and experience within their headquarters. So it just took, it, it was that natural transition from temporary to something more permanent. And I really enjoyed it. And I loved the way we connected with people in the built environment. And I had more, there was more of a playground to play on. Hmm. So that was that the origin story of SPMD or was that part of the gears beginning to turn in your head of saying, okay, there's something here. I can create a company right at the cusp, right? It was really starting when I was still involved with those other wonderful organizations, but really wanting to, to springboard off and really own it myself as an entrepreneur and, and, and deliver all of my values and see if I could make it work. Yeah. Fantastic. So you're starting the new company and you have, I would assume a couple of clients that you're working with. Is it just you at the beginning? Are you building a team? Give us the picture. What is it? What does SPMD look like in, in year one and two? Well, I don't, you know, looking back, I don't know if I would have called the company SPMD or sure. SPM Design. Yeah. I might have, you know, I don't think I would have named it after myself because those are my initials. But it was at first the side venture while I was still working with those, my last organizations to do the things they didn't do and bring value to my trusted clientele mm -hmm. in things that they wanted me to do for them that my other organizations didn't participate in. Right. So that is that origin story. So it started in my home. Mm -hmm. in my office at my house, me, myself, and I, mm -hmm. and my wife, who at the time was still my partner, but non-married, non yeah. um, she ran escrow businesses, extremely astute with financials and paperwork and just business and management of all the things, which allowed me the freedom to, to then be the creative and the connector and, you know, sales in the way that was authentic to me. And so the, the origin story is, is my wife politely resigned from running an escrow company, running an, a, a series of escrow offices and joined forces with, with me hmm. to start the business. And she uh, worked upstairs in an extra bedroom and I worked downstairs so I could take calls and in my little realm and, uh, one thing after another, we created success. Our earliest fabrication projects were in my garage mm -hmm. and in my friend's garages. We didn't have any production equipment or printing equipment or anything of that nature. So I relied on uh, my support of some of the firms I worked with, the PSGs, the Mobises, whoever else. I tapped into them as resources to, to help support my sure. growth in the beginning of our organization. And uh, it wasn't until year 2.5 that we actually had our first small office in the city of Fullerton. And now I'm up to about five or six people by year two, 2.5. And, uh, Wait, it was, so what, what year is this? Oh my goodness. Uh, 2013 ish, okay. 14. Okay. Mm -hmm. And it was mainly still serving a lot of the action sports industry, starting to do things, environmental graphics and things mm -hmm. for smaller companies, painting murals and spaces and doing some, some ambitious things, but at a much more humble scale sure. and obviously humble, you know, capacity, a uh, small company, but that's our authentic heartbeat. And that heartbeat is no different than what it is today in the pursuit of our ambitions. It's just with a far more robust team of talent and, and the capabilities of, of our facilities. 
but yeah, very humble beginnings and it's who I am. Okay. So the company grows over time today. You're a full headquarters, I'm going to call it, with a fabrication studio. Between the early days and today, what were the key relationships that you've had that have allowed you to kind of build upon the successes and grow the company? You know, I, I talk to my staff about this often in that every email, every phone call, every in-person connection we have is an opportunity to create relationship. And it's it's both professionally rewarding and also personally rewarding. Mm-hmm. And really the origins and, and, and really the nexus of our success is in those relationships that ironically, some of my relationships that are 20, 25 years old earned one day after another are why we have the success we have today. Some of my biggest clients, the relationships date back 20 plus years Hmm. to when they were with other firms. And I was their solutionist. I was their partner in vision. And so when you create that rich connection to people and the trust is at that level, you go with people where they go and they go with you. And um, that cross-pollination has been really the origin and roots of our success and, and we've been fortunate and we deliver upon our promises. When we make commitments, we deliver and we, we deliver with, with grace. We, we like to be easy partners to work with and be, be the kindness at sometimes mm-hmm. tense tables and uh, the ability to, to be agile and, and nimble um, to respond to, to things that need to be solved. So that has stayed authentic throughout the entire life cycle of the company and will continue to go with us as the heartbeat of who we are. So clear to me, the expertise, clear to me, the relationship with clients, the relationship with your employees, your family, all create sort of the environment that is SPMD. I think what a lot of, what prevents a lot of people jumping into entrepreneurial activities though is probably a hesitation about running a business and you are running a business what were some of the challenges that you've had in or, or things you've overcome with the accounting side and the legal side and all the stuff that is completely necessary, but not at the core of, I think, probably what you want to be doing as the, the owner of your business? If the reason to become an entrepreneur is at the core of your being, if it is unavoidable and has been upwelling for a long period of time, then there is no challenge that can't be like overcome. I definitely didn't have the whole package. I don't I didn't have an MBA from a business school. I didn't have the the pedigree of running an entire organization. Obviously when it was small and I had promised my wife we weren't going to ever have a company with lots of employees and all of the <laughs> complexities she, she's okay with it now. And she's very promises. proud, okay. but, yeah. but I did promise her that, like <laughs> that I broke that promise, unfortunately, but it's, it really is going back to tapping into, you know, knowing where, if your heart is strong in the pursuit of, of entrepreneurial spirit and what you do is, is real. It's not just about making money in the purest sense, unless that's your passion, of course, then you surround yourself with people that fill the gaps. Mm-hmm. You tap into resources, staying an active learner and knowing that the process will have pain points and knowing that there's necessary evils in the evolution as you continue to grow. Mm-hmm. And so we have 
been lucky enough to tap into a consultancy, a dear colleague, and, and he is part of our, our organization, is an acclaimed uh, chief financial officer that's retired. He's been a consultant to my firm since its inception. He's been on the board of directors of, of tens of major companies. And, and so he's been a guiding mm. consultant to my organization, my legal team. I have an amazing firm that represents us. My bank has been an mm. incredible partner. It's enlisting it's the team. It's all team yeah. extensions of your core in-house team to round out those spots and invest in it. You know, instead of, instead of taking the resources that the company is, has created success with and bringing them into my own bank account, we've doubled down and invested in active learning and mm -hmm. bringing consultancies in and looking at process evolution, um, and really, and, and, and hiring more talented staff. It's about investing in people. So you talk about hiring talented staff and I've had the pleasure of working with, you know, a lot of your team members who are incredibly talented and really can work with the client, put together incredible ideas, come up with surprising concepts that you just would never have thought of. Also great collaborators with architects and other designers and consultants. How do you ensure that you're hiring the right people? It's such a difficult process to get right. I don't know if there's a one-size-fits-all answer, but it's being unwavering in the pursuit of who you are and being unapologetic in the interview process and being really honest about who we are, both the good and the pain points of a growing business so that people know what they're looking at. They yeah. don't just see the shiny prize. They see the whole package mm -hmm. so that when they jump on the bus with you, they know where it's going and they know the road that it's upon. I think that's a key piece. It is a lot of trial and error. I often, you know, when I'm in interviews, I'm the unconventional interviewer. I, I will kind of wax on about the heart of the company, the emotional connection to what we do. I'm definitely a heartfelt leader, I believe. I mean, I get choked up actually when I'm in presentations with my own firm. I don't get choked up and start welling up with clients per se, but I do with my own people because yeah. there's a different level of connection. And and I I want to work at this every day. And it's something that that I truly try to pursue being better every day from the day before is to be a servant leader, to be for my people, for the team that I, I, I work with. And that's tough when you're as busy as someone running an organization like I am. It's really tough, but you can't put that down. It's at the core of things. People want to see the vision. They want to be engaged in the vision. So it's about sharing it with them. It's about being transparent. Mm -hmm. And we've been lucky over the years. A lot of our best staff have been relational hires where a colleague from a past company, a friend from college, someone like, oh my gosh, you got to come work here. Yep. And so that's been a part of the success. And then really honoring that nucleus of who we are, that engine, that heartbeat. Um, so it's trial and error and we don't get it right every time. And I feel morally responsible to every person we hire sure. that I want it to be a good environment for them. They're yep. making a decision that impacts their life. And you know, I hope I'm fortunate in this pursuit for the, for the, the entire life of, of my organization. I've never laid anyone off. Even through the pandemic, 
There was not a furlough. There was not a layoff. Hmm. Part of that was the relationships with our clients. They were there to support us, but also we doubled down as a company. Hmm. You know, we we took, you know, what we had and made sure that people were whole. Because if you believe in people, you got to show it with your actions. Mm-hmm. And you know, we're a small company. We try to continue to improve our benefits. We try to make it an enjoyable, fun culture to work in. And and you 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 try harder each and every day, but it's 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 being human. Mm-hmm. It's being honest with everyone, and leading people together. Mm-hmm. So I visited your office and fabrication studio probably three or four months ago, I believe. And it was funny when I drove down there, and you know I parked my car and I walk into the lobby, and. You kind of come rushing out, and and Roberta, one of your one of your team members, comes rushing out, and you're like, "Oh, you got to see this! You got to see this!" And you press a little button on something that looks like a 1980s kind of train station timetable with all the, I don't know what you call it, but the flicker it's called a seven segment display. It's a very old school analog yeah, display. It flicks yep. around, the numbers pop up, and you press the button, and then it, it transforms, and it says. Hi, Sam. Right. (laughs) And I thought, you know, it's like, I'm not really your client. Like I, you know, I, I'm just coming here to say hello to have a few meetings. And I thought that was so, such a great way to just like enter in the office. And I felt like it was like very touching to have that. The first piece of art you see immediately engages with the person who's walking in the door, which I thought was very clever, but going through your space, can you just walk through for the listeners kind of what your fabrication studio and office feels like and 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 I'll my, I may add on top of it as, as, <laughs> as, as you as you walk us through well I really appreciate even the example of of just it's a warm embrace you're a, you're a guest in our home and we're proud of our little workshop right and it's it's like Willy Wonka's chocolate factory of the arts and it's the people more so than any piece of equipment the space is a forum but what activates space are people right whatever the space is and so for me, any day that I walk through, and I walk through often, and sometimes I'll just walk just to like experience, is the attitude of engineering and what they're doing and like really deep diving in and collaborating with fabricators to like solve a challenge or to refine a, a concept, to watch that in process and to val- the validation, whether they're 3D printing a part that will then eventually be made in a different materiality and studying the way things are done, knowing that it's a piece of a puzzle of a a much greater thing, seeing those connections, this ties back to why I started my own company. I didn't want an organization that was siloed between the departments. I wanted something where we could truly, no barriers, collaborate with one another, that project managers can have a voice in the design process that fabricators work with designers to like evolve the ambition of an idea, that this cross-department pollination of thought and, and developing solutions to bring these amazing things to life is a forum, is a repository of all these things. And so to see that hive of activity and to see the various touch points of projects, and of course, I know all the things we're working on as, mm-hmm. as the, for the outcomes, to see them in these moments in time are some of my proudest moments walking around and even going into the break room and hearing some of the the colorful stories of the weekend or the night before or what they did and seeing my accounting manager 
having a fun conversation about something non-work related with a fabricator and an engineer mm -hmm. and a project coordinator and like to see the village, to see the community of SPM design, mm -hmm. we work shoulder to shoulder. And it's very, it's very much a flat platform. And that makes me extremely proud. And so that as our studio, as our headquarters, I think people feel that when they're there and mm -hmm. they can feel that energy, that passion for achieving artistic results. And it's, uh, it's not even as much about a painting on a wall or a mural on a surface or whatever in our space. That's cool too, but it's the way people are buzzing and thinking and solving and ideating that just it never gets old it never gets tiring so i want to add something there because your company is not a small company how, how many employees do you have now oh gosh we're almost 100 people almost 100 people okay so it's not a small company and i've worked at a few companies both small eight people to very large company working now and it's very rare to really have an, a clear understanding of everything that's happening in the company unless you're at the very top of it but when i walked around your office the fact that you can see everything and the as you said everyone is next to each other right or there's a communal area there's a fabrication studio it, you can see the activity that's happening there's something really powerful about the fact that if you're an employee maybe you just started there a year ago or two years ago you have a really good sense of everything the company is doing and as a result, even if you're not directly working on one particular thing, you feel ownership over the company and what it produces. And that is so key as, you know, what I'm now, right, an employee, having more visibility into the, into the entire organization, what they're doing, allows people to have a lot more ownership and, and care more about, about the company they work for. Absolutely. I mean investment is as investment does right. and and you know something we always a piece to this and i think we can all empathize with this is we're all actively in the pursuit of 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 completing the goals and mm -hmm. objectives of a project mm -hmm. another piece for me and we've been marginally successful and we will continue to be more and more successful is celebrating the victories together mm -hmm. not only that everyone sees their 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 them as a participant and why they're a part of the vehicle of what the company is doing and that you can see it all. And I really appreciate that perspective because that validates a lot of what's, what's really near and dear to me. But then at the end, being able to pause for a moment and celebrate the people and the journey that brought something to life. You know, we do all hands meetings. We do, you know, year in reviews. We do half years. We talk about these touch points. We've actually even been recently talking about how do we even get more active and dynamic in celebrating our wins, in celebrating the things we do, because we should. Mm -hmm. Whenever you achieve something, you know, you got to take a bow. And it takes a lot of people and a lot of unsung heroes to bring things to life. So it's, it's, that's another piece of that story that, that we want to tell more of. So SPMD is very successful and is it and do you call it SPMD or SPM design SPMD I, yeah. I try to take it away from my my name more so when, right. it's, when it says design it's like oh what does SPM stand for is the question I've gotten 10,000 times so <laughs> somehow when you just say four letters nobody asks that same question so we've just uh created a little buzz and it's just simple you know simple it, it, ro it rolls off the tongue rolls easily off the tongue, so I'm, I'm good with that okay you know? <laughs> so in your wildest dreams where do you where would you like to take SPMD in the future 
Well, it's twofold. One, the footprint of where we participate. We're, we're actively evolving the, the organization to be more global in our reach. So currently we have a studio presence in England, in a beautiful seaside town of Margate. Um, I know it well. I know, yeah. I know it well. Real artsy, Very nice place. artsy community, yeah. fun. And we have an amazing design studio there, exclusive to design. Same thing back in Brooklyn. We have a studio in Brooklyn um, with a small team, uh, very modest, three people currently, but looking to grow that as well so that we can participate in different time zones, bring a voice to different parts of the world. So that that aspect of the business is part of our future aspirations and we're excited about how fabrication looks, tapping into partner networks and really developing the ability to respond with logistical efficiencies mm-hmm. is is another big evolution for the organization that we are we are immediately pursuing. But then the other piece is what we do. And so I am really excited about technology and always that that juxtaposition between the craft, artisanal craft of hand-created work mm-hmm. and, and, and work done by people, but leaning into what, is, what does AI do for us? Mm-hmm. What does technology as an expression of art through different means and methods and, and really becoming experts and, and we were developing a team in-house as technology design and, and technology engineering to be able to express outcomes that involve other means of fabrication and execution. So to be able to tell empowering storytelling in, in physical spaces with different tools. So that's something that is another aspect of our evolution is really expanding upon our toolkit mm. to bring value to the worlds that we participate in. Well, I'm excited to see how it evolves over the future. I have a couple, few more questions for you. One is, I know this is a very difficult question to answer, but what do you think has been the biggest reason for your success? People believing in me and us. Mm-hmm. Early in the foundational days of, of SPMD, people took a chance on us. And some of my most well-regarded projects, one in particular, people took a chance on us. They believed in us when we were small, when we were relatively unknown. Mm-hmm. And, and so believing in us started with believing in me. And I take that very, very seriously. Hmm. Yeah, there's a lot of responsibility in that. Right. So, and it's empowering, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's humbling and empowering and, and people that can believe in others and, and give them the forum by which for them to succeed are really special people, really special leaders. And so I, I cherish that those relationships are invaluable. Mm-hmm. So Sean, I'm going to ask you two more questions. And these are the questions that I ask every guest on building LA. So the first one is, what continues to inspire you about working in greater Los Angeles? LA is an enigma. It's this cultural hotbed. And you can say other places are cultural hotbeds, but it is, it is, there is nowhere like LA. And the diverse cultures, the attitudes, the industries that are here, and just that melting pot and, and the things that catalyze from that, it's exciting. What's next? And so whether it's fashion, whether it's music, whether it's production of, of visual entertainment, the art scene, the architecture, like it's, it's exciting. And, and to be a participant and to be able to bring 
results to the community that has been my home for a long time, it's, yeah, it's empowering. It's exciting. It's, it's a catalyst for change constantly. Mm -hmm. And, and to be a participant in that change, that's never gotten tired or, or felt less dynamic. It's, mm -hmm. uh, it gets more dynamic as time goes on. It's an engine that runs, runs at strength. Mm -hmm. It's, it's really exciting. All right. So my final question is, what are your three favorite buildings or places in LA? Um, I mean, three, it's like hard. How do you choose three, right? There's so many and for so many different reasons. You know, Richard Meyer's Getty Center. The Getty Center is like this timeless love letter to the community of LA mm -hmm. from your ability to see it from afar, the approach, the drama of engaging it. And then what it represents from, from the art collections and the active, you know, conversations around art, it really has grounded LA in a, in a, with a really unique lens of, of, as a forum of artistic vision and, and beauty architecturally, mm -hmm. you know, the theme building at LAX is such a, it's like such an iconic symbol yeah. Yeah. and it's, I mean, I, you know, probably something at the top of so many lists, but it's something that, you know, for fam from family from Germany that have come in to fly in to see that like what is that what sure. does that mean and what is this history and to the architects that developed it and you know it's just such a unique symbol of yeah. futurism and you know all of the things it's just such a fun expression um, of, you, you of LA architecture you typically have a long time to appreciate it too as you, as you, <laughs> as you yes go, you do you're going around the death yes loop. you do yeah you know, the Watts sculptures, the large rebar sculptures mm -hmm. are just such a fantastic expression of an individual's passion as an outsider, as someone who is a construction worker that to do mm -hmm. something that that brings like unique value. And now it's a historical landmark. So I, that's three already. But I would say my top one. So I'll say four <laughs> is something that is very near and dear and personal to me, which is the hangars in which the Spruce Goose was built. Mm. That project changed my life and what it was when Howard Hughes, you know, built it as part of his aviation facilities to realize his ambition and his ambition was great. And then the architectural things that have come from it, the glue lamb technology that, that, that built these, these, you know, cathedral like trusses and had never been done before at that scale. It was so powerful. And then for that to be a project, future forward, that I got to be an active participant in um, representing, you know, a global tech firm, Google, to, to bring this architectural marvel developed by Christy Paulson and ZGF into the hangars is deeply profound, both mm -hmm. personally and professionally. And it's this vessel that when you experience it, it has so many different touch points of, of expression. And of course, it's an intimate project for me because I've, I got to bring all of the art experience to life within it. So that to me is, I would say, the pinnacle of projects in LA, of, of buildings in LA that are symbolic. Um, and of course, I'm, I'm, I'm a little biased because it's something I got to be in. It makes sense. You, have a, you, you would have a personal connection with this space. <laughs> yes. Sean. It's been a real pleasure talking to you. Thank you so much for joining the show. Sam, it's been fun. And uh, thank you for having me. I'm, I'm humbled and honored. Thank you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed that episode. If you did, please consider subscribing to Building LA 
on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. As a bonus, if you have a couple of minutes, please consider rating the podcast and writing us a brief review. We'd really appreciate it. And of course, if you have any questions, please don't hesitate to email me at sam at buildinglapodcast.com. Hope you tune in again soon.